Hello, welcome or welcome back to the Just Eat Normally podcast for eating disorder recovery with me, Dr. Rachel Evans. I am a psychologist, hypnotherapist with a PhD in the psychology of eating and specialist training in eating disorder recovery as well as personal experience of going through an eating disorder and coming out the other side which makes me super passionate about what I do and in every episode as with my one-to-one clients I'm bringing you academic knowledge, information and theories as well as therapeutic skills and personal experiences, be that mine or experiences of my guests, for a unique perspective on eating disorder recovery. So join me on this podcast as I speak to fellow experts in eating disorder recovery, eating disorder survivors with inspiring stories, and also throw in some bite-sized solo episodes with recovery tips or new ways for you to think about things. The goal of this podcast is to give you food for thought, to shift your mindset, to boost your motivation, and to help you find your own version of normal eating, which will allow you to live a truly nourished life. (laughs) We're here with Elle, who's just rubbed her hand. She's ready to get going. Um, (laughs) And what else I can tell you is it's uh, I'm here with Elmo. She is an eating disorder and body dysmorphia therapeutic coach, and she supports and guides people struggling with their relationship to food, their body, and themselves to live a free and fulfilled life. And I know she also does some super exciting things, like she's hosted a retreat. She's going to be hosting another one. Um, what else is it that you would like to say to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, I mean that was a fantastic introduction, and you pretty much nailed it. Um, yeah, I would say the only thing to add to that is on top of all those things that I do, I also have had a, a personal experience with it. So, um, you know, not only have I got the kind of a knowledge um, from just, you know, qualifications, but also the experience, which I, I think you can resonate with this, is in this in this industry, I think it's just so key. Yeah, I don't think it's essential, is it? But I think it can no. really help when... I think I've said this on the podcast before uh, my therapist who I had for a, a while when I started binge eating from the restrictive phase to binging and she was like well could you not just do some yoga and like I was like I'm absolutely compelled to go into the kitchen and eat no I cannot do yoga <laughs> I know she was trying to suggest something helpful but I think you know sometimes it helps to just be like oh actually there's probably more yes. going on I don't know if you've got any similar oh oh no I was the same I I I bounced from therapist to therapist to counsellor to blah, 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 et cetera. Tried everyone. None of, well, I, well, I don't know, but I know that some of them definitely hadn't experienced anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, you're not understanding. You're no. not, you're not getting what I'm saying. And like you, they were giving sort of, um, sort of advice. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. I think it helps to be really like heard. Yes. And I think sometimes as well, what we're going to talk about, um, like, success inverted commas and perfectionism and things and I think it's hard as a client sometimes when you almost want to please the therapist and do the things but then you're not able to sometimes that can be a barrier to like the therapist uh client relationship as yes well, they don't quite guess it like with my clients we often do like well you could try this or what's this really tiny baby step 
that might yeah. be more achievable in yeah. the beginning rather than like well on paper this week we do this yeah absolutely yeah and I think that the disordered eating piece it comes with very specific thoughts and feelings and emotions and behaviors which <laughs> I I do think if you've experienced them you can kind of you can understand the well the power mm-hmm. that they have yeah yeah so we'll go into your background a little bit so people could um understand like what has been your experience with um I guess your relationship with food or body image maybe exercise or the kind of linked things like when you were growing up yes amazing so I sort of I kind of I was struggling from around the age of 11 to 12 but I think my eating disorder body dysmorphia was was around before that but it kind of like presented itself at around the age of yeah 10 11 and I just started to get really strong feelings of of low self-worth of high comparison to other people's bodies um really trying to do all everything I could to change myself to look better to feel better to, to be better um and so that's when I started engaging in dieting because that was kind of all I no but I didn't even I didn't even know about it you know it's like I didn't even have the knowledge of dieting but it just seemed like the most sort of uh like quick action that I could take and from what I was learning from other people so I started restricting from that young age and then that turned in to like 17 years of a variety of eating disorders so during my school years in at that that little school and then I went on to middle school it was very much restriction so just trying to get by on as little as possible Mm. and I remember so well this chat I would challenge myself to eat like the minimal I could and I do actually remember one of my days was a GCSE day so I had to go in and do my exams and I had two Zatzunas for for the entire day I look back now I I cannot believe I put myself through that and as a result of that I didn't, I left uh, high school with minimal to nothing grades. I just, I couldn't function properly. And my mental health was getting worse and worse. And then I went on to college and didn't, I I didn't qualify at college because I I, I dropped out because I was so engrossed in, uh, I was engrossed in obviously diet culture and my body image. So therefore I wasn't healthy enough to kind of like keep going. But also I was consumed by relationships. So what other people thought of me, Mm. um, trying to be popular, boyfriends at the time, friendships, people pleasing. So again, I was in the super restrictive stage. And then to be honest, it stayed, it it, it stayed super restrictive into my mid twenties with with a bit of the like kind of orthorexia pace. So I was really trying to be super clean. I was getting very obsessed with things and it it took over my whole life. And then I started to creep into binge eating, started to to get these urges to to really binge. I had a bit of binge eating going on. Then I went through a breakup of after uh, with someone that I've been with for 10 years and kind of like the very next day I woke up with bulimia. So I was having these big binges and then these huge urges to purge. And it kind of like literally, I just woke up with it one day. And then I had that for, for a while. And that, that took me to the kind of the end of the 17 years when I was like, I cannot go on anymore. Mm. Like I cannot live my life like this. Like I was in social situations and it was just becoming so difficult. So 
yeah, I was like, yeah, I need to, I need to get rid of this. I'd seen a few people, nothing had helped. And then I eventually saw someone who actually had experienced it themselves. But also I had got to the point where I was able to find resources myself as well. So before I think I just wasn't ready for it. Um, but then for those whole period, that whole period of 17 years, I look back now and, you know, I now work in it. So I, kind of everything happens for a reason. But that aside, I think, wow, I wasted so many years of my life, like waking up each day and my sole focus for the day mm-hmm. was about food and exercise and what I look like. And it just completely took over my life. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I didn't actually realise that you had struggled um, with it for so long. Mm, yeah, yeah, that is a significant amount of time. And also to start so young, what you were saying as well about the GCSEs, yeah, I really remember, before I really knew about eating disorders, I did PE as a GCSE. Um, yeah. And there was a girl there who was like amazing at dancing. Like I think everyone in the school knew she was like such a good dancer, but then she'd lost a lot of weight. And I remember we were all eating lunch and she just, funnily enough, when you said Satsuma was eating this, like Satsuma or like little orange. Yeah. And we were kind of looking at her like, oh my gosh, is that all she's going to have? I don't know, obviously, what else she'd eaten or not eaten. Yes. Say, but it was almost like, I think in my mind, like she's got so much potential to do yeah. this and do well at it. But then I don't know what grade she got. I think she's, I think she did pretty well, even considering everything. But it's like... I suppose now from the other side, we can see that could have been so much easier. Yes. To do better if she was actually fueling her body and also you, if you're fueling your brain, because it's really hard for your brain to run on practically nothing. Um, Yes. Yeah. It's incredible to think like, like now I think about myself and the activities that I take part in each day. I mean, I have to eat regularly. And if I don't, I really notice it. So I don't know how I, I well, I, you know, I do. I know how I got through each day at high school because it was fight off light because mm-hmm. I knew I didn't know any different. Like all I knew was that I had to be a different person in a different body to be happy. So therefore that was fight off light. Do what I had to do to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of survive, which sounds crazy, but that's what survival meant for me back then. Mm-hmm. Complex. Yeah, it is interesting, though. Like, did you feel like you ever got to that point where you were happy with your body? Oh, absolutely no. And this is one of my favourite things about talking to to clients about. It's like, it doesn't matter where you get to, there's always more that you want. And I do remember having a particular goal. And I remember the day I got there so well. And I remember thinking, I can go, I can do more yeah I can lose more I'll lose it I'll lose a couple more and also being unbelievably miserable mm-hmm. and also now I, you know as we're talking I'm remembering that was just me in my own little world in my own bathroom with the scales just me in my world thinking that this was a great thing nobody else around me cared. nobody mm-hmm. else, I didn't like what weight I was you know I, did I think I was doing it for me or other people like it's it was so unnecessary mm-hmm. yeah I thought it was really just change the topic slightly it's interesting what you said as well about feeling like you woke up one day with bulimia because it sounds like you'd had a really big life change like again 10 years is mm. a long time to be with someone yeah in general, but also when you're that's a large part of your 
percentage of your life at that point probably as well it sounds like I know we do the lifeline exercise with clients like when you did that I guess could you see like oh there was this huge change like how would I have coped with that situation yes yeah it totally like I it's so strange like talking about it because I'm like it really was a matter of deciding we would split up me getting my staff moving back in with my parents Mm -hmm. and then the very next day I was literally like overcome with these like well you you, you've you've had it as well you know just like my whole body was being taken over by something like nothing was stopping me from doing this um I I think the fact that I had probably been sat on 15 years of restriction encouraged it um and the body was kind of you know fighting to, to get more food because the binge eating had been creeping mm-hmm. had been starting to creep up but the bulimia part really was it was so powerful and I I look and I think that that was such an emotional thing for me that was something so I was going through such change that I I would couldn't I couldn't mm-hmm. handle I couldn't process it I think sometimes as well when um, people are restricting it is harder to control your emotions anyway and it's harder to deal with those situations so you're almost at a disadvantage anyway maybe people haven't learned growing up how to handle these situations because I don't think we're taught I don't think I would know (laughs) particularly well even being a therapist I think it would come at me and I'd have to deal with it even now as you're kind of going along um I don't know what my point in that was but you know it makes (laughs) sense why you would just be like okay oh (laughs) Yeah, I mean, food is medicine. Food is fuel, isn't it? We only survive as human beings from food and of water and stuff. But, like, of course, how can you... It's so exhausting processing an emotion. Like, when you go through this healing journey you and you'll, you'll feel it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting for the clients. It's exhausting for the therapist. But because you have to get so present and feel everything, build emotional resilience, you have to do the whole thing, and actually it is exhausting so growing up if you can just take the easy option to just not really feel Mm -hmm. anything and then suddenly I was presented with this complete change and it was like I didn't know what to do with any of that emotion emotion but also uncertainty of like Mm -hmm. and say and safety it Mm -hmm. definitely came down to safety I was in a very safe relationship for 10 years and it was like am I safe on my own Mm -hmm. Was it quite a shock how it ended or did you think it was coming to that anyway? No, this is a thing it had been coming for a long time. We, we mm-hmm. remained, we still are good friends and we split up on really amicably and it was a joint decision and to be friends. But it had kind of been, yeah, we knew sort of the year before that it was mm-hmm. probably going to happen. It was just more of a matter of like making this difficult decision mm-hmm. to do it. But um, so, yeah, it's almost like I, you know, I, I knew it was coming but I do think for for me personally, obviously I was with him for 10 years. Before that, I was with someone at a very young age for a few years as well. I had never been single. Mm-hmm. I had never, I never knew myself as a single person. So it was like, I didn't trust myself. And also like if I was definitely someone that needed external validation mm-hmm. um, and company, like I do remember, I was much better t- towards the end, but I remember in the early years of the relationship, I hated it if he went away and like I was just mm-hmm. on my own. So it was now like, you don't have a choice. You are going to now be alone and you are in the, the big wide world and off you go. Yeah, I think there's so many factors that can play into an eating disorder. And obviously you can talk about it quite eloquently 
um now but sometimes when you're going through it or you like you just don't know what's happening because you're kind of so caught up in it and like you say like those eating disordered thoughts you'll probably just focus on like I feel so guilty for eating that that consumes your day quite often um you're not kind of making these connect often people aren't making the connections as they go along oh my god absolutely like if someone had said to me in the, in that moment um or in the last years of the relationship I think your this relationship's actually like keeping your ED alive mm-hmm. I would have been like no I, w- I just wouldn't have seen the connection now it's just also obvious to me but I think this is where when you're talking about in the lifelines it's so important to do a lifeline because we ask questions and and pull up on other things that people can't see themselves and it's amazing when you do go through the healing process you have to change so much of your life and then it all sort of comes together and it is yeah I mean relationships whether it's friendships family you know partners it does play a huge part on on the way you feel about yourself when you eat and food yeah and what you said oh you have to change so much of your life I was thinking oh that probably sounds overwhelming but it's like you don't just you know have to do it all in one go and I feel like do you know sometimes as well when one thing starts shifting other stuff just shifts by itself because sometimes I'm kind of like oh my gosh we've got to work on all these things and I'm like I almost have this like top down view of everything or, you know, the experience from working with people that like, yeah, but we don't have to tick all of those things off because once some starts yes. going, I don't know if I've said this analogy on the podcast, but I don't know if you get this or not. Have you ever played Kaplunk? Oh, I think I have. It's that one that's like a tube. Let me explain it for people who don't know. I'm trying to explain it. Like a vertical tube. And it's got lots of sticks going in it and then it's got marbles on top and they're all stuck above the sticks oh yeah and then it's like you pull them out I can't remember what the aim of the game is I don't know whether it's to get as few marbles or as many marbles as you can um, but it's not really relevant for this but it's almost like you know they're all on top and you pull a few out and then the marbles say it's the marbles eating disorder that needs to go to the bottom to be gone or the yeah. elements of it but you don't need to pull out all the sticks for all the marbles yeah. sometimes you pull out the key one and it's like these marbles are coming out now because we've done yes. those few key ones I don't know. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> I totally get that. You're right. It does sound overwhelming. Me being like, you need to change your whole life, but it <laughs> happens naturally. Like it does. Like because when your self worth rises, you just start to behave differently without even having to try. Um. And yeah, you. you yeah. I mean, it sounds extreme, but actually, when you're in it, it just kind of moves, moves naturally, doesn't it? Yeah, just to talk about myself for a second, uh, yeah. when I was saying about self-worth, so one of the elements for me, I know there was more elements, um, but was that I put a lot of my self-worth on getting good grades. Yeah. And like, um, I also did competitive lifesaving, which not many people know what it is, but... <laughs> I'm literally like, I was going to pretend I knew then and not. Yeah. And like, no, just say you don't know. What is um, that? It's basically like swimming, um, but we do different kinds of races and stuff. And then we have, um, I'll have to put a picture in the show. So I've tried to explain it before. You might have seen it if you've been to the pool. It's called a mannequin. It's like an orange yeah, kind of body with no arms. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. you fill yeah. it with water bearing mounts and do swimming with that. And then the other part of it is they set up like a little scenario. Yeah, it's crashed or something and then you and your team have to go in and then you get marks for like how well you communicate and how well you treat and everything um it's like less on one hand I was gonna say it's less serious than swimming obviously it's serious if you had to treat someone in real life 
Um, but it's less competitive. It's competitive, but less like what's another word for competitive? Do you know swimming is like quite? Like, I feel like this is quite competitive. Stuff, but... Like you explaining this to me is stressing me out because if oh, I was there, no. I'd be like, I have to win. <laughs> I'm so well, I was also like that. <laughs> um but no it's quite good fun it's it's everyone is really friendly like if you go to yeah. someone's ill on the team people would swap team members yeah. like I had a lot I had a lot of friends from that from my club from other clubs I did that from when I was like 12 yeah. um, when I finished uni and then I've done various diets and things and looking back I'd gone through periods of like tracking all my calories and stuff but then I'd like switched out of it Mm. again but I think when I left my master's and I left life-saving then it's almost like I transferred my self-worth to like how my body's gonna look or like I'm gonna eat I must eat healthy because I wanted to go into health promotion and I think if I'd had that internally the self-worth about like I am enough or you know those cheesy affirmations I didn't really believe that maybe it wouldn't have gone yeah to an eating disorder so I think that self-worth piece is really important because I think people pin on their job or relationships and like you say that external validation um yeah I just think it sounds so cheesy doesn't it when you talk about self-worth or self-esteem and these things but it's really important for resilience it's, it's so important. I mean, that's what, like, I underestimated the connection between self-worth and the whole food and body piece. Like, and actually, like, I don't think I've ever had a client who's not suffered with low self-worth to some extent and not had had not had the other things going on. So, yeah, it, it, it really is. And like you say, self-worth, self-worth, the word, it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, isn't it? And it's a bit like <clears throat> self-worth, self-care. You know, la la la. Love yourself. (laughs) I know. But actually, like, it is serious. And that self-worth piece, how you view yourself, how you see yourself, of course, that determines your entire being. I'm like, Bob Shell, you've got nothing else to say. (laughs) I'm very expressive. (laughs) My hands are all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I guess what do you obviously without going into stuff that's confidential see um with your clients in terms of um we we're going to have a topic of like success and eating disorders and how do you think those things go together yeah um it seems to be a bit of a common theme that well it depends what you what people determine as successful but let's say quite career driven people or people like you say that that academic want to get good grades or or even just really pushing themselves there seems to be a bit of a theme with this in disordered eating I think it is because of the perfectionist piece so you know one of the biggest one of the like few top characteristics of the OCD and the perfectionism because you're striving for more and better Mm -hmm. whether that is striving for your diet to be the best it can so your health can be the best it can or whether you just want to you know especially the body piece at the moment and with society and social media like feeling like you have to be perfect you have to have the best body and you cannot have the best body and you cannot have the best diet without it kind of being detrimental and without it being difficult because nothing's perfect, is it? Nothing's perfect in this world. And as human beings, we're not designed to be perfect. 
So it's not, it's not, it's not going to be. And I love, I love that sentence of um, if you're healthy, um, diet is causing you stress and it's, it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for a perfect diet, that is going to be stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like how you touched on um, this perfectionistic striving that you're always trying to achieve and achieve. And we had a guest lecturer I cannot remember who it was, which is probably quite bad. I should probably find out when I talk about this. Um, when I was doing my PhD, who came to talk about perfectionism. Um, and they were saying there's this um, aspect of perfectionism that is this driving, like you try not to make mistakes, you want to be as good as possible. Um, but there's also something else called perfectionistic concerns, which is almost like the worry about making mistakes or like the anxiety, the doubt, the worry about being judged. And it's actually the concerns as well that are really predictive of, um, I guess, let's say negative outcomes of perfectionism, because there might be those people that have these really high standards for themselves, but actually if they don't meet it, they don't beat themselves up as much. They're just like, oh, okay, that's a shame. Whereas there's other people who maybe like get third place in a swimming race and it's like, I've got to do better, I'm rubbish, all that really negative self-talk. Yes. Like it's that all or nothing kind of, isn't it? I'm the best or it's not. Yeah. Well, it's not almost not good enough. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's so difficult. And some people put this on, on themselves and it hasn't come, you know, externally or in, and from the environment, but... I think what is also difficult is when this has been your environment. So you've had parents or grandparents or or uh, siblings, and it's you know, it is this sort of like worthiness equals that success piece. And of course, like if you've got a parent who is really driving you to do better, and then you don't meet up to their their expectations, mm -hmm. of course, you know all you want is for your parents or carers to just love you and to accept you. I and mean, then if you have that feeling of of that you're not because of those reasons, that is that has a profound impact on somebody. I think what's really interesting is I remember this is a confusing, um, it's gonna be confusing. So my grandma um on my mum's side saying to me about my granddad on my dad's side. Oh, okay. But to her, like when I was doing the life saving, like about I was doing it for my dad really and trying to like because he always went to training with me like he did some coaching I did a competition in Canada he like came to watch it and stuff um like almost I can't think how she phrased it now but like not that's a bad situation or she shouldn't be doing it. like almost to be careful for me yeah be careful about it but I don't think I don't know if I was or not I didn't realize that the time but it's almost like I think when I've talked to my dad about it he was only pushing me because he thought that's what I wanted yeah so it was almost an accidental I don't know what the word is loop yeah so I was doing more because I was like oh but I want to do well and like make my family proud and stuff and make myself proud and he was trying to help me do better because he thought I wanted to but then it was kind of pushing me yes too much yeah. sometimes yeah, and it's hard, isn't it? Because also, he might be going off his own experiences where he maybe stopped something earlier than he should and he regrets it when you're older. And I know that I definitely have regrets looking back and think, I wish my parents had pushed me to carry on with that a bit more or whatever. So you can't really get it. It's hard to get it right. But I think there is definitely that line between like a parent pushing their child too much. 
yeah because I think it's hard to say as a child as well sometimes isn't it so, yeah definitely with the swimming and life-saving I saw those mums who were like trying to live yeah. through the child <laughs> oh, <God. Yes. laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> oh absolutely well it's yeah I mean it's you I see it around the football pitch as well the dads are just oh get so passionate about it but it's you you can't for you know the, the more you force a child to do something the more they're going to rebel and not want to do it and the more they're going to lack confidence it's not it's not going to benefit anyone then is it yeah obviously like you've got two kids haven't you I've got a baby and probably is just about trying to do your best isn't it because I think that's another area that you can put that almost perfectionism and then you look on the internet and there's one thing telling you to do one thing another thing telling you to do the complete opposite and that's side note but that's another minefield that can get stressful um yeah yeah definitely that parenting thing is so true like you do compare yourselves you watch you know you watch other people with their kids out and about dealing with the situations of their kids and you think what would I do in that situation you do want the best for your kids but also you kind of have to chill out Mm -hmm. and kind of just surrender to it all but yeah it's definitely been interesting actually this is this is um a conversation for another day but going back to our food piece mm-hmm. me having my kids was knowing that I wanted kids was the biggest thing for me changing my food because I knew that even if I thought I was doing a good job of hiding it yeah like, I couldn't have, I couldn't have had my old relationship with food mm-hmm. and my kids now yeah it just maybe we'll just get off on that tangent I did have another question but hopefully I'll remember it later um I guess so you mentioned that shift in terms of recovery like you wanting it you feeling like I can't do this anymore um and having kids was that wanting to have kids I guess was there anything else that played into that and how how did it go when you decided all right I want to recover was it like fairly quick did you feel it took ages like what was that like for you yes um the biggest shift I think was it was the fact that I, I knew I wanted kids and I and I couldn't have this I couldn't I, the thought of being pregnant mm-hmm. with bulimia was like I don't know how I'll be able to do that yeah um, also I had got so bored of saying to myself um that's the last time I'm doing this oh yeah oh gosh that sentence it still goes through me mm-hmm. one more time one more time and those times just were never ending so there, there was that and, and you know, my, my health and well-being, but it was starting to really get in the way of my like my general mood day to day as opposed to just on the bad days. It was starting to really overtake. So and I think I think I had grown and developed a lot as a person, even though the ED had got worse. I had changed a lot that time that I was on my own and I was like, I, I can. Yeah, I wanted to do it. And I, I could do it. Um, but the in terms of my recovery, I think. It was, well, I think a good year for myself. A good year of really knuckling down, doing the work. And I think like my biggest advice would be that you have to sort of like be open-minded. So I actually tried several different things. Really, you know, when someone would say to me, like, how about you do this? I would be like, okay, well, I'll try it. Yeah. Even though I felt like it had no connection, actually, it all did work out pretty well for me. But it was about being open-minded and really trying a variety of different things. Um, and also doing the hard work, realising that actually, maybe I did have things in my childhood that I needed to pull back up. Mm-hmm. 
and that was painful, but it had to be done. So yeah, if you if, you know if you're sat here listening, thinking, oh gosh, I need to do something like these previous traumas don't go away. So it's kind of like do it now before it carries on, you know, effort any more of your life. And actually, some things can be really painful, but also some old traumas, they're not as painful as you remember them to be. Yeah, I think it's almost like I, when we talk about traumas with my clients like your body might still be remembering and you have that memory but it's not happening now yeah I think it's that being able to separate what has happened to what is going on now yeah. is really key um which I mean I don't know if I talked about this a lot on the podcast I know we've talked about it but um I had birth trauma to a certain extent um for like a good five months so a I think that really, really uh, impacted how I think about trauma because it's almost like, you know, when that memory comes up, it is so overwhelming and it was like, I'm there reliving yeah. it again. Um, so I think it has made me a lot more conscious of what people um, can struggle with. So I'm not downplaying it. And I know there's certain skills that are needed, um, you know, to overcome that. But sometimes... I was going to say it can be easier than you think, but not always. I don't want to promise people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, but that's that's like kind of spot on. Like actually be inquisitive, like go for it. Go, go there, get the help, get the support. Like allow yourself to bring things up because you just don't know. And if you don't know how painful or difficult it might be or how easy it might be, mm -hmm. but I never underestimate like what, old trauma is doing and how it's manifesting in your life now yeah and I think like you say that support is the key for if it does bring it up and it does seem like a lot that week actually having someone who has different tools and techniques to help you feel more grounded or whatever it is that you need in that situation rather than just going digging it up and not oh. being sure uh, yeah about yeah yeah, another like swerve. I was going to ask you before um, about the comparison piece because you mentioned that that was a big thing for you. Is that something you see with your clients um, a lot as well? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, my comparison when I was a child was heavy. Everything. Like, I look back, I think everything. And none of it was logical as well. I mean, one thing I wish I had known when I was younger is that, and it sounds silly, but I didn't know it, is that everyone is born genetically different and mm. everyone has a different body and everyone will be a different height, which is obvious. But size-wise, I wish I had known that no matter what you do, you can't force yourself to be mm. something in, in, in a healthy way. Yeah. And my best friend growing up was really slim, mm -hmm. really, really slim naturally. And also a lot taller, but I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even, I was so focused on the slimness. I didn't even look at the fact that actually, well, she's a lot taller than me. Mm -hmm. But I just would compare everything she would do and everything she would eat and just try and copy her and just try and, you know, do it and try it. But the comparison is so is so big. And actually, when you can get out of that um behavior, but also habit, like I think with the comparison thing, it can often just be a habit that mm -hmm. you just allow your 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 mental state to just um you know to take over in these situations. But definitely, and then when because that's once you can get rid of your comparison, that saves a lot of energy and a lot mm -hmm. of brain space. 
Yeah, I think one thing I do if I notice that I'm comparing now is just remind myself like I don't have the whole picture and the whole story about it. You know, you were saying like, oh, you didn't think about your friend's height or, you know, people are comparing what they're eating about this which is kind of what you were saying about your friends there's a lot more going on she's taller you actually don't know what she's eaten when she's not with you you don't know how she's moved when yeah you and also I guess you know now even if you copied her you wouldn't get the same outcome as she did so I guess like my comparison now is probably to people on Instagram doing stuff with their business and I'm like oh they're doing so much or they're doing this and that but like I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know their different skills and everything. I just have to remind myself that yes, pointless to compare. <laughs> yeah, it's just such wasted energy. And like you say, like I definitely think with like the whole food and body piece, when we when we see someone who we think looks like they have a perfect relationship with food and body, you know, it's highly unlikely. People thought that about me when I was younger. And I'm like, wow, they had no idea I was in the thick of an eating disorder. And people would always say to me, I wish I ate like you. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely. And with the whole, like, I mean, the whole comparison with everything, like you say on Instagram, you just don't know. You only, and especially with Instagram, things like that, you only see what the person wants you to see. You don't see the stressing out behind the scenes and the, you know, and the whole, you know, the whole lot. And, but also if someone is in a great place, maybe they're at the end of their journey and they've already done the hard work. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's intentional. Sometimes it's intentional on Instagram, isn't it? People portray themselves a certain way, but then the other hand is like, you can't put every minute of your life and everything ever on Instagram. Otherwise you wouldn't just have time. No. For anything else. Um, so Yeah. So unfortunately, we do have to cut this one um, short. There were quite a few more things that I wanted to ask you. So maybe we'll do um, a part two at some point next year. Um, but what would you say to someone who came to you and said, I just want to have a normal, oh, I just want to eat normally. That was it. <laughs> just want to eat normally. Um, yeah, so I would say, firstly, um, that's 100% doable. So like, if you just want a car, I, I would f- firstly to determine what does normal mean? Because actually like pe- normal for everyone is so different. How I define normal is being able to kind of eat kind of intuitively. So eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm kind of satisfied as opposed to like over full, but also not have the moral dilemmas and the whole like headpiece about what the particular food is I'm eating. Um, so that to me is normal. So if someone was asking, you know, to want to eat normally, that's that's what my response would be. Find out what you want from normal and then also trust that it is doable and trust that you can have the relationship with food that you want to. It just takes time, tools, knowledge, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of kind of just like rewiring the program and re- rewiring your mindset and all your behaviors. So it is all doable and you can have, like when you say normal as well, that relationship with food, for me, I think I, I remember being asked something similar. I am thinking, I just want calm and I want peace around food. So a calm and peaceful life. And actually my clients said the exact same thing yesterday. So actually, if you want calm, you can create calm. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at at I am L Mace. You, oh, my website www.lmace.com. Um, yeah, that's probably the two main ones. I've got a TikTok, but it's frustrating. <laughs> oh, I did not venture into TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it's a work in progress. <laughs> Thank you so much.
Oh, it was lovely. Sorry we got caught short. The internet cut out, but there we go. Such is life. Move. Bye. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Just Eat Normally podcast. I hope you found this enjoyable, interesting and insightful and informative. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to hear the next episode. And just remember that you can check out the show notes for contact details and extra resources.